Amen. Church, I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of the word. And it comes to us today from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. For those whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom God predestined, God also called. And those whom God called, God also justified. And those whom God justified, God also glorified. The word of God. Please be seated. The larger prayer. Thank you, Pastor Chris. The larger prayer. That is a good word as we embark. Uh, Let's pray. God, I pray that today your message comes through despite me, a broken vessel. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you who can, please do me a favor. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Who can do that for me? Yeah, okay, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your prayers. I'll tell you why I need that too later in a bit. Progress, the verb, right? I guess it would be progress, right? Did we progress? Progress. Moving forward, advancing, growing is what it means. And I'll be honest, I struggled as I prepared for this sermon. Two weeks ago, Pastor Chris stood on this stage and referenced a meeting with the pastoral staff where we met and discussed and talked about this idea. How are we going to communicate this? Uh, Maybe even in a visual form. So we were drawing on the board, right? Remember when she referenced this? We talked for 90 minutes. And after 90 minutes, we weren't really closer to our goal. But it was great conversation. And it wasn't wasted time. We were doing the work. We were putting it in. But we said a lot without really saying much at all. (laughs) As sometimes conversations go. So what does it mean to progress? It's what we've been wrestling with over the past few weeks. Well... It's linked with time, isn't it, right? Growing takes time. So time is necessary to progress, but progress is not a function necessarily of time. In other words, time might elapse, time might pass, but progress isn't guaranteed, right? And this is one of those things I think that's quite important because of age, right? I'm older than a lot of the folks here in this space, hallelujah, someone say amen. <laughs> there we go. I like getting older. Really, really enjoy it. I'm older than a lot of you here. But the fact that I'm older doesn't mean that I've progressed further than you have necessarily. It doesn't. Because of the nature of progress. Progress requires intention. 
And it's not linked, it's not correlated with age. It's something I'm learning more and more because following Jesus at age five and following Jesus at age 95 is possible. But it looks different, doesn't it? We have 95-year-old saints and we have five-year-old saints. The five-year-old saints are just a little bouncier. (laughs) What is that journey? What does it look like? Well, last week, Pastor Chris uh, showed us McLaren's face stages, and we were using this as just kind of a framework to talk a little bit about that. So if we could get those up. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. Here, let's start with uh, our guy, Fritz. Uh, we were working off of his definition of progressive, and this is what it says, or this is what he said in his book, Thinking Theologically. Progressive identifies those who want to retain the values of the past as they advance toward a future they know will be significantly different and who want to understand historic religious beliefs in relation to contemporary secular knowledge. Yeah? Did you catch that? So this is, what, this is the framework that we're working off of when we talk about progress. It is possible... However you identify, right, whichever labels you take on, you might say, well, I'm liberal or I'm conservative. Regardless, the call is to be progressive. Yeah? Taking what's best of the tradition and moving bravely forward into the unknown, adapting as we go. That's the call. And this is what we're working off of. So now let's go to McLaren's face stages. Pastor Chris talked a little bit about this, right? And there were four of them, simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. Simplicity, faith is agreeing to beliefs. Complexity, faith is a means to a desired end. You remember the picture she painted of the children praying for their pet, right? It's a miracle if the pet comes back and it's good news and God is faithful but it does get complex if the pet doesn't come back. How do we work through that reality? And we heard that most churches are in these first two stages, either simplicity or complexity. Most churches in America are here. Then we move on to perplexity. Faith is an obstacle to critical thinking, because now I'm taking in information that's pitting what I've known against what I'm learning now. And then harmony, right? The final stage. Faith is a humble openness to love and to God. Humble openness. God, what are you up to? These stages are fantastic as a descriptive, describing what the progression looks like. And we've seen it, right? So this is great, a great way to describe the progress. So I was asking the question, right? What, what does it mean to progress? And I had to change it so that I could even wrap my head around what I was gonna talk about today. What does progress look like? I had to ask that question. What does progress look like? Paul Paul Ricoeur, 
French philosopher, and he was really into, can I even say this word? Phenomenological experience, phenomenological experience, phenomenological, oh my goodness, and hermeneutics, which I'm about, right? So he was an expert in these areas, and he introduced the idea of the second naivete, right, with the umlaut, naivete. What, in fact, is this? Well, when we are young and coming into faith, we take on the faith of our parents. They bring us into faith, right, and we take it on. And then what happens is a stage in between where we have the ability to question, are we going to take on our parents' faith, or are we going to do something else? A path diverges in the wood, right? Which one do we choose? And should we choose faith, we enter what's called the second naivete, where we recognize that there are areas that might not be answered 100%. However, we're able to live in the tension of that ambiguity the second naivete. I couldn't help but think about that when I was hearing about these faith stages. I was trying to to understand, right? And so progress, here's what I've I've discovered, especially in light of Ricoeur. Progress is not so much about information as it is about transformation. Progress is not so much about information as it is about Transformation. Now, don't get me wrong. Information plays a role, doesn't it? It does. But it's not the goal. Information plays a role, but it is not the goal. On campus at La Sierra University, I'm blessed to be one of the chaplains there. And this year, I'm really excited about because this year, our project is to, as a community, try to do the things that Jesus taught. That's what we're committed to. That's what we're going to try to do. What would it look like if a community was just committed to those things? And you know these things. You've heard them. Very simple to understand, but very difficult to do. Yeah? Love your enemies. Very easy to understand. Our five-year-old saints understand that. Love your enemies. But who among us can do that? Very well. Oh, what's the rest of it? Pray for those who persecute you. They're like right next to each other. Oh, no. Easy to understand. Again, our five-year-old saints understand that. Pray for those who persecute you. Who among us can do that? But we're committed to that as a community. How do we do this? That's what we're going to be doing across the street. And on this side of the street, I'm sure. We're going to be engaging in that project. Information plays a role, but it is not the goal. Because to do the things that Jesus taught, we have to know what Jesus taught, don't we? (laughs) Well, Jesus said this. Did he? (laughs) Did he? Well, let's, let's take a look at that and read that a little bit. Maybe. Let's make sure. To do the things, we have to know the things. So the question is now, how does transformation happen? That's what we're interested in. 
How does it happen? How do we engage in this? So we go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, a verse that's very familiar. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your minds. You know this. You've heard it, right? So the question, right? How, how do our minds become renewed? How do we do that? Our minds can't be renewed if we don't think new thoughts. We'll go to the next slide. Yeah. Our minds can't be renewed. So when's the last time we thought new thoughts? When's the last time we thought new thoughts? Think about the spaces that you've been in, right? Maybe in church. When's the last time you thought a new thought in church? Now, why is that? Our minds can't be renewed without new thoughts. And there's something to that. Because, let me turn this page. What is a new thought? Do you know what a new thought is? Sorry, I'm going to ask these questions. You're going to be like, what? What is a new thought? Well, it's something I haven't thought before, right? Would that constitute a new thought? Yes, something I haven't thought before. Well, what's something that I haven't thought before? Can you think of something that you haven't thought before? So, okay, so, so what is something that I haven't thought before? I'll be honest, I don't know. I have no idea what that could be. I'm wanting a new thought. It could be anything, and I have no idea what it might be. Sometimes, I don't know. I know I don't know things. Do you know that you don't know things? There are certain things I know I do not know. I do not know what the largest prime number is. Do you? Okay, I don't know what that is. I saw an article saying in 2018 they found this thing. It's massive. I have no idea what it is. I have an affinity for prime numbers. I like them. 11, that's a prime number. What else? 31, 41. Strangely, 51 is not a prime number. Did you know that? Okay, yeah. You're tracking. 17 times 3, it's weird. 61, prime number. 71, prime number. Okay, we'll stop with the prime numbers. But I don't know what the largest one is, and I know I don't know that. Okay. But then sometimes I don't know what I don't know. You know what I'm talking about here? I don't know what I don't know sometimes. For example, I interviewed to be chaplain, or one of the chaplains here at La Sierra University. And one of the questions I asked was, what questions should I be asking? To which I heard, that's a good question. <laughs> My people. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know what I don't know, and I need to know what I don't know so that I can plan accordingly. <laughs> what should I be asking? By the way, kids, tuck that one away. What should I be asking? It'll be good in interviews. So I'm going to go on a little bird walk right now when it comes to this idea about knowing, because we as Adventists love to know, don't we? We love to know. We are a faith tradition that came out of modernism, and we pride ourselves on knowing, don't we? Yeah? We've known things. In fact, we've said things about knowing things. What have we said? We've said phrases like, we have the truth. Have you heard that ever? We have the truth. 
Now, that statement on its face is actually a ridiculous statement, right? Especially if we break it, listen, if we break this down and we understand that Jesus said what in John 14? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? So the truth is very literally embodied in the person of Jesus. So when I say, I have the truth, what, I have Jesus? (laughs) Well, that's weird. And that can't be true. It just can't be true. Now, I can join truth. We could say more about that later. That's another sermon for another time. But something important to recognize with this idea, because we're very committed to having right beliefs, right doctrine, and it's of value. We should have right beliefs. We should have right doctrine. It's important. But it's also important to recognize we are not saved by right beliefs. And that's a whole other conversation. All right, that's soteriology. We could talk about salvation, but we are not saved by right beliefs. Very simply put, because we have 28 fundamental beliefs, but what happened to all those who just believe 27? Whoa, wait a second. Wait, whoa. Is there a possibility that we might add a few more? Well, maybe. I mean, we've done it in the past. Might that happen? Well, what would happen then, then, when that happens? Are we, are we wrong right now? Probably. Wait. <laughs> Wait, what? We're not saved by right beliefs. We're saved by Jesus Christ. Okay, all right. <laughs> Just need to establish that. So the question we ask, are we wrong about something? What is something you're wrong about? Do you know? What is something you're wrong about? Now, I hate being wrong. Anyone else hate being wrong? I hate being wrong. I hate being corrected. Uh, But I live in correction. (laughs) I hate being wrong. I'm constantly being corrected. Appropriately, because I'm wrong all the time. But are you wrong about something? How would you know? Unless you're, right, the only way that you would know is if you're actively lying. And that's like a whole, again, other conversation. We need to have some pastoral counseling if you know you're wrong. And yeah, okay, that's a whole other thing. But in general, you don't know what you're wrong about. I don't know what I'm wrong about. So here's the question. What does it feel like to be wrong? What does it feel like to be wrong? What it feels like, I'm gonna tell you right now, what it feels like to be wrong is the exact same way as it feels like to be right. Being wrong feels the same as being right. I grew up with cartoons, love cartoons, and the Looney Tunes had a segment that would run with the Roadrunner and Wild E. Coyote. Yeah, running around, chasing around Coyote, trying to get that Roadrunner, looks so delicious, right? And then you would see him, he would, right, his vision would change because he was so hungry, he would see a turkey or, right, like the stuffed bird. He was so hungry. And so he would chase the Roadrunner all over, right? And invariably, what would happen? There would be a moment where Wile E. Coyote is chasing the Roadrunner. Roadrunner turns, right? 
and Wile E. Coyote is going and then stops and doesn't realize that he's standing on nothing, right? He ran off a cliff. But because of cartoons, cartoon physics <laughs> is a thing. He is standing on nothing, right? But he has time to like still plot and plan and think. And he, right? Gravity doesn't kick in until he looks down, right? Oh. So Wiley e. Coyote standing on nothing is what it is to be wrong. That's actually what it is. Standing on nothing. Yeah? Okay. This is the moment. Now, I hate being wrong. I don't know when I'm wrong. I have no idea. So what am I wrong about now? I'm not sure. And it's also possible to not be like egregiously wrong, like Wiley, right? Like, if not for cartoons, he would die. Uh, but you could be like kind of wrong or, or wrong in small ways. And so if it's right, just a small little drop, you might get hurt a little bit, not gonna die. Be wrong in part. For example, Newtonian physics versus Einstein, Einsteinian physics. So who's right? Is one more right than another? Let's talk about gravity, for example, right? What does Newtonian physics teach us? That gravity are particles being attracted to each other, right? So one particle is acting on another particle, creating an attraction. Is Newton right? Yeah, he's right. On Earth. Meanwhile, Einstein is dreaming up crazy ideas that gravity outside and away from Earth, let's not think of it as attraction, but let's think of it as a curvature of, of space-time. I'm not saying space and time, I'm saying the continuum space-time. A curvature of space-time is gravity? Yeah, away from Earth. So who's right? Well, Einstein is more right, but for our purposes here on Earth, Newton's correct. It's possible to be wrong in part. What are we wrong about? Not really sure. Now, there's a difference between beliefs now, the way we hold beliefs. We, we've been talking about beliefs. Beliefs now and beliefs then in the biblical record. Beliefs now is basically you pay mental assent to a propositional truth. I say a thing and you agree, right? Do you believe that chair will hold you up? Yes. Huh? Pew will be accurate. Do you believe that pew will hold you up? Yes, right? Do I believe that pew would hold me up? I'll say, well, yes, I see it holding you up and you know, it's doing its job, it seems like. It would do its job when I sit on it. Yes. And this is the difference between belief as understood in the Bible and belief now. Because now we say things like, yeah, we believe. But the difference is, in the biblical model, I don't believe that would hold me up. Why? Because I'm not sitting in it. I'm not living like that's true. To really believe it, I have to live like it's true. And I wouldn't believe it until I actually sit in it. 
Certain beliefs do carry higher, higher risks. Wiley Coyote, good example, right? High risks with his level of wrongness. And we see all around us, there are health implications to bad beliefs. There are high risks depending on what you believe. And sometimes we don't agree on these things. Sometimes the consequences don't care whether or not we do. Well, we were talking about the description of what progress looks like, and I think the faith stages do a good job at describing that. But what is the prescription now? What do we prescribe to get to where we want to be? We look at our text, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. Now, just a quick little comment on good. Good doesn't mean I get whatever I want. You know that, right? We've been conditioned now where it's like we read good and it's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get everything I want. I'm gonna get the job I want. I'm gonna have the relationship I want. I'm gonna have everything I want, the house, whatever. No. No, this is actually good, right? This is good according to God. And good according to God is not good according to me always. Yeah? It's different, qualitatively different. So God, I accept what good you intend for me to receive, not just what I think is good. I worked on a college campus before up at PUC, and students would come up to me and they would say, hey, good sermon. And facetiously, you know, I, I repent of this, but facetiously I would be like, oh yeah, what was good about it? Because what, what was I doing? Was I just scratching their itching ears, telling them things they wanted to hear? I've changed my metric for what a good sermon is. Sometimes good sermons are the sermons where people get the most angry at me. That's why I, I ask for prayers at the beginning is because sometimes I have to say a thing. It's not about uh, nervousness for speaking, even though I get very nervous. And the reason why is because sometimes I have to say a thing. And if I have to say a thing, then more things will follow. Yeah? <laughs> this is why I need prayers. Let's follow the text. For those whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. Welcome to the family. Among whom Jesus is firstborn and God has predestined. We are predestined. See, I paused there, right, for the Reformed theology joke. No one got it. That's okay. We are predestined to be like Jesus. We are predestined to be like Jesus. Yeah? And he is the firstborn among this family. We're going to keep coming with those uh, Reformed theology jokes. Okay. Uh, firstborn with And those whom God predestined, God also called. God called you. And those whom God called, God also justified. You are justified. And those God justified, God also glorified. So what we're reading in Paul is this idea. This is the prescription. We are meant to be like Jesus. This is what progress looks like. We're moving in this direction toward Christ-likeness. 
And I always think, well, this is an academic campus. So last week, right, uh, Pastor Chris preached on John 15 that talked about bearing fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, I will remain in you, and you will bear fruit, fruit that will last. What is that fruit? Again, Paul helps us in Galatians, right? And you know this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's what actually it looks like. This idea of being predestined to be like Jesus means that we are bearing these fruit in increasing measure. That's actually the rubric. Come on, teachers. That is the rubric for the progress, at least how I've read it. Now, if these new thoughts are progress, we'll grow in these ways, and this is how it happens. We take on the mind of Christ. Remember, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These new thoughts that God gives us are transforming our mind into Christ-likeness, hopefully. And we help each other. This is the role of the faith community now. This is what we do. Here, there, right? As a community. This is what the community committed to progress does. So McLaren's final stage, harmony, says that faith at that stage is humble openness to God. Humble openness to love. Progress is a commitment to growth. It's a posture that we commit to. Now, we could be wrong in part or in whole, but there's always more to learn and to embody, and that is a posture, always more, always more. So as the school year begins across the street, it's already begun at LSA, but as the school year begins and things start ramping up, let's commit to progress and to progress with humble openness to God, with humble openness to love. Amen.